millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by the F1 2018 Video Sports Game. This episode is called Formation Lap All the Way Home. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Ah, well, it's it been fairly exciting here the last couple of hours for some reason that I cannot possibly fathom. Well, I think it might be, Matt, that at the end of history, before the heat death of the universe, I think we'll be looking at this race as a turning point, not only in the season, but in an era of Formula One. Two four-time world champions head-to-head on the first lap of the Italian Grand Prix with a few points between them in the championship fight in two of the fastest Formula One cars ever to drive in Formula One. History in the making. You know, it's amazing. Two different eyes, same thing. I saw the two best cars in Formula One, completely different design precepts, hammer and tongs, engineering strategy. It was all on the line and it was fabulous. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by rising star Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens of the journalistic world. How's it going, Chris? Yeah, it's going really well. I've had a good good weekend of helping out with uh, some some F1 transcriptions or, or sport, and I made my Formula Ford 1600 debut uh, this weekend as well, writing about it, not actually racing it. <laughs> no, you're terrible behind the wheel of any vehicle. We're also joined by <laughs> Alex Jeansy Van Jean, who is quite good behind the wheel of a vehicle. How are you doing, Spanners? No, I'm, I'm awesome. It's looking, looking very forward to talking about this rather exciting race at Monza today. Well, let's looking very forward to qualifying. <laughs> Should we talk about qualifying now or do we talk after? 
Sebastian Vettel on the radio after qualifying, not giving anything away. Clearly, very unhappy. In the past, we have seen, haven't we? We have seen the Ferraris with, I think, uh, Alonso and Massa years ago trying to do this toe in qualifying, and it never really quite working, but it was sort of vital in this qualifying session. Uh, the toe was like a random variable DRS that you either got or you didn't. And if you got it, it was hugely, hugely beneficial. And we did see uh, for the last runs in qualifying three, we did see a lot of teams going out nose to tail to try and make that thing happen. And, um, you know, obviously didn't work for Ferrari quite the way they had planned. And at the time, I remember the commentary saying that that Vettel backed off of Hamilton because he was running behind Hamilton to uh, give Kimi the toe. But that was kind of a weird thing for him to do, as generally speaking, it's accepted that Ferrari throw more resources at him than Raikkonen. The toe was really important, actually, because we saw how close the field was. There was like a tenth and a half between P7 and like P18. And uh, it pe- played a massive role in uh, the races of the, the, you know, the likes of Hartley and uh, Leclerc, you know, surprise dropouts out of Q1. So it was really, really close. But with regards to kind of Sebastian in, in, in that session, did anybody else get the feeling that he was a little bit fragile uh, this weekend? Because we saw he had some good pace when he hooked it up, you know, pole worthy pace when he was able to get the laps together, but quite messy um, in a lot of his laps, you know, there were uh, a lot of his qualifying attempts during practice that he threw away and the spin as well that cost him uh, a little bit of uh, long run uh, time in FP2 as well. Well, let's not overlook the political situation at Ferrari right now. There's a great deal of uncertainty about who he will be driving with next year. And we know that he has his likes and he has his dislikes and he may not be looking forward to someone other than Kimi next to him. Uh, in the paddock next year and we reckon that's confirmed don't we we suspect that's confirmed seen it in print but not by an outlet that we have 100 percent confidence in would that be a good summation there chris <laughs> i have seen r- reports over the last month or so that they've both got a contract uh next season and uh, there's going to be all sorts of complications with uh, the the changing over of, of ceo and who has agreed what before and after the changing over of the ceo I, I think there is a very complicated situation that has been brewing um here yeah excellent but we were talking about how close the cars were and who I think it was you, Chris, that just mentioned that Sebastian Vettel had a pole worthy car and setup. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Because in general, he is quicker than Kimi Raikkonen at the, mo- at the moment. And we saw like a, a mistake out of the second set of chicanes. But also, Lewis Hamilton didn't nail that final qualifying lap either. No, I think it was scruffy from uh, a couple of them. Although I think Lewis uh, should be quite happy to be as close as he was. Uh, to Sebastian in that session, in all honesty, because uh, we weren't really expecting Mercedes to be fighting for pole position. They looked very much like they were going to be locking out that second row, which ultimately they they did, but it was a lot closer than we expected. Jeansy. The key point that both Seb and Lewis kept making errors was the exit of the second chicane. They both kept dipping wheels. Lots of people did, but most noticeably was Seb and uh, Lewis was dipping their tyres into the gravel just on the exit of the second chicane, which is what they both did on their final qualifying lap. So as somebody who has to do qualifying laps, Jeans, do you you think that that was like a deliberate kind of risk-reward thing? Like if you could get it out onto that gravel 
but still keep it on track, it is faster? Or is that a case of just where they've pushed too hard? Yeah, they want to get right to the edge of the circuit. It's the whole thing of you've heard you've heard the phrase before of using all the circuit. Well, they want to use as much of the circuit as they can. And you can actually get, you know, half a quarter to a half of a tire just off the curb and be fine. But if you get it a little bit over, then you bog down a little bit. It wasn't completely qualifying wrecking, but it would have cost them some tenths. Yeah, but Matt, I mean, obviously Chris is there has just said no one was expecting Mercedes to qualify on pole. I mean, I I still had a little bit of faith, even though it was a bit of a drubbing pace-wise in Spa-Francorchamps. And here, we expected there to be no opportunity for an advantage through a twisty bit. Therefore, Mercedes had no real reason to kind of be quicker through tighter sections, and they were going to turn up with, with trim. So I think a lot of people were surprised, but I had a little bit of an inkling that perhaps Mercedes weren't going to be as far back as they were in Spa. Right. I, I think I would be with you. I think people thought the gap between Mercedes and Ferrari would be larger than we actually saw. But it's important to remember that the teams spec out, uh, especially a rear wing, specifically for this event. And I, that may have had something to do with it. And then the other thing that I think really came into play was the uh, new rear wheels that Mercedes had. Their new design seemed to be working very well for them uh, across the weekend. I think the other thing as well is if you look back to Spa, uh, Mercedes were struggling compared to Ferrari for traction so out of the bus stop chicane, out of the La Source uh, hairpin. And uh, so they would have been struggling out of say, the first chicane, uh, for example, compared to Ferrari for that bite out of the corner. So a lot of the teams have this gamble at the cutoff points and they sit there and they talk about, right, we think the cutoff point is going to be one minute, 19 and 23 somethings. So Perez got caught out by something like two milliseconds. That's that's crushing, Chris, isn't it? Yeah, one thousandth oh, no. of a second between. But then there was, you know, one thousandth back to the car behind him as well. You know, like I say, it was a really, really close uh, qualifying, and it was all about you know the toe and and also the circuit was uh, getting a, a lot quicker because we'd had rain overnight uh, that made the track uh, a little bit more um, slippery. So it was pretty green. It wasn't as rubbered in as it usually would be at that point of the weekend. So it was changing quite a lot, gripping up. All right, let's do an early, an early whose fault is this? What do you reckon? Before the main whose fault is this, qualifying threw up a great one. Uh, Let's see, who's looking eager? Who wants to go first? I think we'll go to Chris first. Basically, uh, Alonso was trying to build a gap. Magnussen, before Parabolica, said... Well, no, I'll just jump into that cab. And then they ended up tussling into turn one, making contact and ruining both their qualifying uh, qualifying laps. But whose fault was it? Yeah, it was really clumsy from the pair of them. But I, the reason I would argue it's Magnussen's fault is because usually when you have the cars at the end of the lap, uh, you know, preparing, they respect the queue. I've heard a lot of drivers talking about this before where they, you know, respect the queue. And so for Magnussen to make a very, very late, you know, move on Alonso to get ahead of him uh, into the Parabolica. Um, and and to then go defensive as well on that straight, which I don't really understand. That said, Alonso shouldn't have tried to you know, repass him. And I think on any other racetrack where you don't get a massive slipstream down the pit straight, he would have come off looking brilliant and made Alonso look like a bit of a chump. Uh, but unfortunately, this was not the racetrack where that was going to work. Jeansy. So put yourself in Magnuson's shoes. You're coming down the final straight before the pit straight and you see a bright orange car in front of you. You're th- and you're the 
fourth fastest car on the circuit. You're thinking, orange car in front of me, I need to get ahead. So I would have done exactly what K-Mag did. um, And I think K-Mag was fine. I think the problem was Alonso should have backed off more. And they actually found out that Alonso, while doing that move on K-Mag, was fastest in the speed trap. So he was carrying so much overspeed. He could have braked early, got a really good entry into the first chicane, and then um, been able to follow K-Mag the whole way around the track and probably would have done a stunning lap. I think Alonso screwed himself and screwed, and then in turn screwed K-Mag. Trumpets. I find myself in the odd position of more or less agreeing with Jeansy here. But the fact of the matter is, for me, what it comes down to is K-Mag passed Alonso cleanly into Parabolica. There was no argy-bargy. No one hit anybody. There was no lockups or anything. And he was well ahead of him down the straight. And for Alonso to try and take that position back, not only was it never going to happen from where he tried to break, as you can clearly see from the lockup, it was ridiculous to even think that was going to be possible. But I think is was very well pointed out, he would have benefited tremendously from simply tucking right in behind Magnuson yeah. and following him around for the slipstream the entire rest of the lap. So it was poor decision making by, quote unquote, the smartest driver on the grid, in my opinion, that not only led to this incident, but my favorite, Zach Brown and Gunther Steiner, toe to toe after qualifying, looking for all the world like they were going to throw down. Jeansy. Um, to me, it was another, yet another like, display of Alonso's ridiculous arrogance, um, where he thinks he's better than everybody else. Um, and I can't wait to see the back of him, if I'm brutally honest. And I'm going to get so much flack for that, but I don't care. I'm very much done with the Fernando Alonso love affair. Well, for me, it's a little bit, you know, less vindictive than that. It's, it's simply the fact that he's the car behind. He was the car behind going into the first corner. And he decided to make a scrap of it in qualifying. There's no rule that says you have to sit in the queue. And uh, he's decided to leave an extra big gap. That's not Magnuson's problem. He's got to worry about people behind him as well. All very silly. Let's go on to the race. All right, here's where I rely on Matt to wake people up that weren't paying attention and tell us. Where was the race won and lost? Well... In my entirely humble and not necessarily thoroughly incorrect opinion, uh, the single most important thing for the weekend was the fact that Ferrari only brought a total, a grand total for both drivers of three sets of tires of the soft variety, which meant that given the rain in the first practice session, they essentially had very little to absolutely no data as to how to manage the tires at the circuit. And Mercedes, on the other hand, not only had more soft tire data to work with, they had also spent a fair amount of time not only designing their new fancy wheels, but also working, as we heard from Rosberg at the beginning of the race, working on their starts. Right, so let's just break that down a little bit. Did the other teams then have more sets of softs? Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah, yeah. Ferrari brought like the minimum. But surely everybody here looking at Monza which is a low-wear circuit, they will have taken more of the softer of the two, wouldn't they? Did, did they just bring all super softs then? I, I think didn't, were like 10, 10 sets. It, it was a, it was a remarkably large uh, out of the 13 
uh, 10 sets. I don't even know if they brought a medium. Actually, I didn't go and look. It just came up uh, post-race as a statistic, but it struck me straight away that that was a huge deal because Mercedes had a big advantage when it, when it, when it came to understanding how the soft tire would work on track in traffic. Yeah, very interesting. But I mean, I mean, Mercedes still looked dangerous on the super soft, though. Yeah, I'm not saying Mercedes was bad on the super soft, but the big advantage, and we saw it post pit stop, was them on the soft tire. I mean, Lewis was flying the 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 he was flying on the supers, but also on the softs, and he managed them without blisters. Crucial thing for Kimi as well was that he had um, quite a sizable luck up into both of the the first chicanes on the opening lap. So he may well have been uh, handling uh, a dodgy uh, tire there. Right. And that that once we get past the start, which obviously was crucial for Vettel, Spin and Hamilton and Raikkonen going at it and for Botas being trapped behind Verstappen, that essentially made it a one on one race between Raikkonen and Hamilton, because both of those players were going to be out of it in terms of helping around the pit stops. What we saw was Lewis just basically trailing Kemi until they hit the pit stop window and Mercedes was out in the pit lane. Ferrari came out in the pit lane and they pitted Kimi, uh, I believe it was lap 20 or 21. And Hamilton did the opposite. And I cannot stress this enough. This was the instruction he had. This was not a dummy by Mercedes. This was flat out them saying, we're not sure we can get by on track. So we're going to play opposite strategy to Ferrari and make it work. And boy, did it ever. The thing is, ideally, would they have had an undercut? It was far too early for an undercut, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit early for an undercut, and they clearly had it. I mean, the usual uh, the usual gap for an undercut is going to be around two and a half, three seconds. And he was pretty much a second back of them for all of those laps. Here's the sense that I got, is that they came out to attempt the undercut. Ferrari saw that, and then they got their tyres ready to cover off. And then, then they issued the instruction to Hamilton. Actually, since Kimi is looking to cover us off, do the opposite to him. Does that sound about right? That is exactly right. what I would say happened. They, they gave Ferrari the choice. Ferrari chose to cover the undercut. And then I think when they saw how fast Lewis was going in the shape of his tires, yeah. rather than go for one lap, suddenly they're like, okay, let's see how many you can give us. All right. Uh, but but Jeansy, were you, uh, were you clock watching at the same time? Because I was staring at the timing screens here once Kimi Raikkonen's been in and Lewis Hamilton hasn't been in we're just staring at the gap aren't we between uh, Raikkonen and Hamilton and we're seeing it kind of creep down oh yeah I was watching the clock from literally the very first lap um on every single gap when the pit stops went in the app on the pc is fantastic for yes, looking at time it's really good it really really is because you can pick two drivers and i was constantly watching the gap between lewis and kimmy during that phase but during the first phase i was watching the gap between seb and lewis to get the pit stop window it didn't matter in the end because seb did have to do a second stop but um but yeah no the uh i i i did not lean back and relax until about four laps from the end it was amazing did you get like crease marks all down your sort of the front of your skin? Is that just me? There you go. I've lost so much weight. It's not quite there anymore. It's all good. <laughs> uh, sparkles. It was a pretty genius strategy, wasn't it? Especially how it ended up transpiring. I'm not entirely convinced that uh, Lewis was, was just told to do the opposite. Maybe that message came through, but. Didn't Toto say something after the race that pretty much like led to the idea that 
we dummied Ferrari into making an early stop. There may have been a comment on there. That well, sort of um, maybe that. maybe dummied is the wrong word, but they definitely forced Ferrari's hand. So by being proactive, which maybe we've accused Mercedes of not being this season, by being proactive, Ferrari were forced to react. Because if they'd have let Lewis get a huge undercut, Chris, uh, then that would have been Hamilton away. And I think we saw later on in the race, and it really was a strategy of trying to keep Kimi ahead of Hamilton for as long as possible. Yeah, for for all the um, strategic blunders that Mercedes have had so far this year, this really, really did uh, make up uh, for that one because it was just pure genius. And getting Kimi on, you know, older tyres and getting him to burn them up, trying to catch and pass Valtteri Bottas as well, is a genius move. All right, uh, Matt, I think we'll dig into the tactics specifically of Mercedes a bit later, uh, but we're still continuing with how the race was won and lost. Yeah, although Steven's given away the game a little bit there. It was an eight-lap offset, if you'd like to know, between the two of them. And he spent about 12 laps. And I think crucially what it was is when he came out of the pits, his middle sector lit up purple, Raikkonen's did. And we know from past races that the one thing these Pirellis really don't like is being pushed hard when they're cold. And by time Lewis pitted, I think he'd set, Raikkonen had set three separate fast laps of the race. And he had taken a lot out. And then when he finally got up close to uh, Valtteri, he was inside of a second until pretty much uh, Botas pitted on lap 36. And I think he was uh, he might have been trying to find a way past. I don't know why he was that that close, but it was it was really all over for him because he'd already blistered the left rears. And at this point, we remember Mercedes had that new trick rear wheel design. Lewis was told to back off and he went out to almost two seconds. And the moment Valtteri was coming back in, he was a second. He was on Raikkonen's gearbox. And all I got to say is nail coffin. Very good. Very good. Right. I'm going to talk to Jeansy for a second because the race was won and lost with all those amazing tactics and clever things that Matt just referenced. But let's be fair here, Alex. From a racing point of view, Vettel definitely got the better of Lewis Hamilton in Spa. Definitely. In, on two occasions, on the start and the restart, Vettel's tactics was on point. But Jeansy, how good was Lewis Hamilton against Vettel here and also against Kimi Raikkonen? It's quite funny, actually. We haven't seen, since Lewis has been at the front, uh, mostly at the front since the Mercedes days, we haven't seen him do an awful lot of wheel to wheel. And I found myself wondering a little while ago, what would happen if we see how, how would Lewis fare if he started going wheel to wheel again? And this just shows the guy hasn't lost anything. He was so on it today. I mean, Monza's a place for him because it's all about the late breaking. And as Lewis has told us for many, many years and shown us on many, many occasions, there is no late breaker, no more of a late breaker than there is Lewis. Um, the move on Seb um, was phenomenal he judged it perfectly seb was going to go up the inside of kimmy that's why he was on the left hand side um and then lewis knew that moved to the right hand side uh vettel wanted to come back across couldn't come back across um and then lewis uh, quoting mr philpot stuck to his lane um i think and- i think what you've done there alex is you've led us perfectly into whose fault is it yeah, let's do it. Let's apportion blame then. Uh, yes, we don't have Bradley Philpot here to talk about his elegant and not at all clumsy lane system, which I'm sure he's definitely worked out all the caveats by now. Uh, let's uh, assign a little bit of blame to this. Chris, how did you see 
the incident where Lewis Hamilton went round the outside of Sebastian Vettel, uh, eventually causing contact between the two. I mean, the stewards called it absolutely right. It was a racing incident. But, But you cannot say by any stretch of the imagination that Lewis did anything wrong at all. And that even though Seb, I don't want to say caused the collision because it's not like he did anything uh, crazy in it. It was a simple bit of understeer because Lewis made the move by the time that Seb was already on the brakes. So it was, I think, Mm. harder for him to try and back out of it. He had fewer options than, say, Lewis did when Kimi came around the outside of him a few laps uh, later. Lewis was able to back out of that, and I think Seb had less of an option to do so. Having said that, he could have tried a bit harder to to back out of it. Uh, But Matt, Seb is blaming Lewis Hamilton in the press conferences, in the bullpen afterwards. He said... Lewis Hamilton didn't leave me any space. And all the time, you must leave her the space. Well, I have to say, much like Ferrari with Raikkonen, I have sacrificed one of my weather races, won and lost points. And that was, Vettel, in my opinion, made a huge mistake going into turn four. He should not have been where he was. He should have stayed behind Raikkonen and followed him through that would have left lewis on the inside going in and the outside going out and i don't think there's any way any way at all that lewis would have been able to be ahead of him at that point instead he was looking to pass kimmy and left the door open for lewis and when he got to the corner not only did he not have the right steering angle as we could see from raikkonen because of where he was but raikkonen cutting in front of him robbed his front wing of downforce, which actually was, in my opinion, the main cause of the accident. He basically understeered into Hamilton and spun himself. And for that, I can blame no one but Sebastian. Kimmy did the sensible thing leading into that corner. He stuck in the middle of the track because uh, it was stick- by sticking in the middle of the track, it makes going up the inside very difficult and going around the outside very, diff- very difficult. Um, Seb left the massive door. Yes, okay, it was the outside door, but left a massive door open. And you can't do that for any high-level driver, especially Lewis. You put Max Verstappen there, he'd probably still hit him. You put um, Daniel Ricciardo in that position. Everyone would have gone around the outside because you could make it work. If Vettel had done exactly as Matt said, which is stuck right behind Seb, He'd have braked a little bit earlier. Lewis would have ended up hanging himself out to dry and have to go over the bumps yeah, or would have backed out. Jeansy's done it. Jeansy's done the thing that I got criticised for where everyone's bottas. You just did everyone's Seb. Uh, but you're getting some slack in the chat room there, Chris, because let's look at this. Uh, Fennec2k1 is saying, isn't understeer a product of not braking in time? And Hansing says, assign blame, damn it. So for me, you've got an early contender for missed Apex Award for failing to correctly assign blame during whose fault is this? Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, on that, that first comment, though, because Lewis made the move so late, this is what was really genius about it. Because he wasn't in an overtaking position the, the millisecond they hit the brakes. So Seb at that point was braking for a corner that Lewis was not alongside him for. And this is what it made the move for Lewis, because he made it so late. He just put Seb in a position of either we're going to crash or you back out. It's up to you to do it. And he chose poorly. Um, <laughs> I will say on Seb's comments, though, I do not understand Seb's comments that it was Lewis's fault. I've written about nearly 200 Grand Prix and I've seen the replay nearly 20 times. There is no way that is Lewis's fault. 
Right. The chat room and Kevin, a whole bunch of numbers, would like to bring the following <laughs> comment to you. The main cause of the incident is Ferrari didn't put slash allow Vettel pole. Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing. So had Seb cleaned up his qualifying app, hadn't been so fragile like we were talking about earlier, none of this would have happened. So if we, if you want to kind of draw back uh, to it, this whole thing comes back down to Seb's messy qualifying. Go on, Gene Z, get your last point in. The other thing that makes it ridiculous from Seb is it just shows that he doesn't have much foresight because he could have let Lewis pass because then he'd have been in the exact same, then Lewis would have been in the exact same situation that the Mercedes put Kimi yes, in yes. Earlier, later in the race. So they could have used it to his advantage and two will always beat one in that situation. Very, again, very, very poor championship decisions from um, the German four-time world champion. Yeah, four-time world champion and has made four racing errors uh, this season so far, I make it. it the the hunt for five is is not going too well for Okay, us. so let's list them then. If we're counting today, are we also talking Paul Ricard into the back of Bottas? What else have we got this season? Baku, uh, uh, Baku and uh, the other one. Did you just say it, Matt? Hockenheim in the oh, lead. Yes. Got to count that, right? Yeah, and ultimately, what's the gap in the championship now? He's He gained 15 points today. 30. So it's 30 points. And yeah, that's that's easily 30 points he can attribute to his own driver error. And that's got to be stinging him. So when you're talking about being fragile, Chris, perhaps he knows that he's 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 thrown away quite a lot of Ferrari's best chances to capitalize on this great mid-season form. 100%. And uh, there are going to be some races coming up that I think are going to be tougher for Ferrari to, uh, to win. Uh, and even if he beat Lewis say a one two in the next four races it's still not going to be enough for him to take the championship lead and apart from being a little bit off pace at the beginning of the season we haven't seen any real errors from Lewis which again shows you know he struggled with what for him must have been a difficult car in the first part of the season but he hasn't made any mistakes you know he didn't do anything stupid when Seb came past him at Austria when he was struggling. So I don't think Lewis has really made any mistakes, but Matt's shaking his head. I got to disagree, man. Some of those hairstyles, I just, I'm not going to diss them because I know culturally it's insensitive, but I am not getting there with it. My wife mentioned his hairstyle today because you get blonde tips on it today. I said, I actually now don't care about his hairstyle anymore. I it was good today. I agree. Yeah. I think that's just a feature of Lewis Hamilton. And uh, today was was not the worst that we've seen. Uh, although somebody did message me on Twitter and said that hasn't been his hair for 10 years. But anyway, that's fine. That is his choice. If I was uh, going bald, as some of you constantly harass me and tell me that I am, I might well be tempted for some plugs and some, uh, uh, was it Grecian 2000 as well? Uh, anyway, hairstyles aside, uh, we've got some more blame to assign, haven't we? Let's go straight into that then. Let's go for Bottas versus Max. You've got some comment on this, Jeansy. Oh, Max, Max, Max. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Hello to our Dutch like, audience. Uh, with respect to them. Uh, I, I like Max. He's fiery. He's the kind of character we want, the kind of character we thought we'd be losing from um, from F1. But the kid's got to have some grace, you know. Um, he went fiery. He obviously knew he was losing his... Uh, he was getting his penalty, which is completely what rattled him. Um, and it's really simple, actually. Um, Bottas pulled a dummy on him. He went to go back 
to the racing line like he's allowed to, but has to leave a car's width. Didn't leave a, leave a car width and um, completely boshed Bottas off the track. Um, and then said nothing happened and it was all Bottas's fault after the race because that's what he's doing. My issue with Max at the moment is despite his unbelievably blistering pace that he can show from time to time, yeah, um, he hasn't got the head. His head isn't there. If you put him up against Lewis or Seb right now, he wouldn't win a championship. Interesting. We'll go to Sparkles in a second, but just a proper hello to the live chat. You can go into our live chat room by searching Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. Uh, click the little bell and subscribe, and you'll get a notification every time we go live. Uh, Baha Matiamat in the chat room says, Lewis is black, damn it. We love our braids. Heck, I had braids till my hair fell out. Yes, fair point. Message received. Sparkles. I cannot understand for the life of me what max was thinking when he said i left him the space and he doesn't understand the penalty we've all seen the replay a few times and i think we all agree he didn't leave him the space and instead of uh, letting valtteri buy to minimize the damage of his five second penalty he was going to lose that place regardless instead of trying to just set some good lap times to try and stay ahead of sebastian vettel Instead, he got hot-headed, acted like a petulant child, and decided to battle him way too much and cost him you know, a further place to Sebastian Vettel. Contact Chris Sparkles at gmailmistapex.com with all your complaints. But hey, honestly, if you are a diehard uh, Max Verstappen fan, email me at spannersready at gmail.com. Tell me if you have a defense of that situation. Trumpets. Yeah, the chat room, uh, Stuart Arkari, I'm going to guess at that, makes the very good point that Lewis also knew when to give up when Kimi overtook him yes. uh, at the end of the race. And he lived to fight another day and got the overtake back. And this is the fundamental different thing that we're not seeing with Max. So if you're going to ask me whose fault that was, that was Max's fault. If that's the game we're playing now, really obviously. Yeah, I mean, technically and within the rules as well. I did see somebody say, well, he did leave him space because the green runoff to the left is also part of the track. However, I believe the case is that it's the thick white line denotes where the track is. And if you resume your track position after having defended on the inside, you can do so to take up the racing line. However, you must leave a car's width. And it was just, it was clumsy because he could have moved over to almost the same place. And simply, uh, like certain other drivers we know and love, gone straight, gone straight past the apex, and then braked and turned in very, very late, leaving Valtteri no place to go but through the chicane and keeping the position without any contact at all. There were other ways to do what he did, but he kept he kept on trying to take the racing line all the way out to the edge of the track, and the rules simply don't permit it under those circumstances. And if he had did exactly what you just said, Matt, he would have been deemed an amazing defender and it would have been a brilliant defense. At the end of the day, he just was so hot. He, he'd forgotten about the race by the time that impact came around. All he'd seen was a penalty. Um, unless it was a penalty. Um, he, 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 he just didn't, he just didn't, wasn't looking. It just wasn't. Yeah. It's uh, it saddens me. The thing is, I can tell how frustrated you are because you do love Max as a just out and out racer and a character, but he just keeps doing these little things. But we just, we do have to remember he's still, he's still a young lad. And I think that the F1 teams might look at Max Verstappen 
as a kind of almost like a warning about these young lads who are super, super fast. You know, do they instead want somebody who's got a little bit more racing experience, who's got a little bit more life experience? Or do you always take the quick, you know, we're thinking about Gasly, we're thinking about Lando Norris, George Russell, etc. Or Fernando Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> do you keep Fernando Alonso? Uh, okay, since we're with you, Jeansy, what happened to your mate and fellow BRKC uh, karting contestant, uh, Brendan Hartley? What happened to him at the beginning? Because he's why the safety car came out. I saw him getting slightly squeezed, but was he to blame? Nah, poor Brendan. He's, I, I, feel, I really feel for Brendan, and it's a shame he's most likely going to lose his drive because... He's been so unfortunate this year, and this is just another sign of it. I actually don't know who the two other combatants were. Um, was it? A, I think it was Van Dorn and one of the Saubers. Um, they've just pincered him, which we see a lot. But it just the first hit wasn't too bad. It was the second hit just completely destroyed his suspension, which was really I, I didn't expect that much damage. I expected a because it was I think it was Wheelface on Wheelface, so I'm surprised. Matt, it was Ericsson. Ericsson, it was uh, Van Dorn and Ericsson. He was between it. Ericsson removed most of his front wing and somehow damaged the um, Toro Rosso to a state where it could not continue. Yeah, actually, there's so much that happened this weekend. We haven't mentioned the fact that in practice, Marcus Ericsson just randomly in the braking zone took a 90 degree turn into the barrier, rolled over three times and just, you know, he got out of the car and I believe he went on the team radio and said, I think Grosjean hit me. That's a joke. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> no, that was that was interestingly. It was down to an incorrectly specced spring on their DRS, and it was not closing correctly. And they had to revert to the old wing, which is why. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but that's why we saw an unusual person get an actual point today. Uh, Chris, yeah, that was um, an unusual moment. You can see it on the uh, the rear facing camera. It, it it sort of latches up a bit further than it than it should do, and just gets stuck there the drs flap uh which is what led to the uh the incident and uh, leclerc had the same issue in that session and basically lost you know all of the that that whole session because they were trying out so many different things to try and uh to try and fix the issue and uh, of course the salvo mechanics had to to work on that and then work overnight to fix uh marcus's car and what uh amazes me is just how quickly he he managed to just get back in the car and like oh, oh it's, all, it's all fine i'm a bit stiff in the neck but it's absolutely fine ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Let's find out if Chris is absolutely fine without the racing line. Missed Apex podcast is brought to you today by the F1 2018 game. Thank you very much to Deep Silver for sending us an F1 game that landed in the lap of Chris Stevens. So you've been running through some of the career modes. How has it been going? And look, shall we put this to bed? Have you abandoned using the racing line on computer games? No, because I'm not a racing driver and I don't know what I'm doing the, like, at all. The whole point of the game is learning when to break turn and then accelerate again. Yeah, I know, but I I can't commit too much of my life to all of of that. You know, I'm not a I'm not one of these PC pro sim racers that has uh, an amazing setup and the seat and the pedals and everything. I just want to play a casual game every now and then. So, how are you enjoying it, Chris? I'm really loving it. It's been so much fun, and the career mode has been really, really good. And one thing I've uh, realized um, since we last spoke about the game is how much better the development system is in your career mode. The new currency system is fantastic because it used to take an eternity to overtake one team uh, that right. was even close to you in uh, in the development side of things. But now you can bring so many updates to so many races, but it, it doesn't mean you just saw your way through the field really quickly. It, it's still good and competitive, but you can work your way up a little bit. So better. you can do little things like say, oh, can you make my racing lane higher so that I can see it over the top of other cars? Yeah, things like that. So, <laughs> so uh, but overall, I mean, you, you said you'd just done the French Grand Prix this weekend. Was that, was that Paul Ricard, was it? Yeah. And as much as I hate that circuit, I was actually on for a really good uh, result in the rain. And then I went to slicks a lap too early and ruined everything. And I was really upset about it. <laughs> So you did like a Perez at Spa. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. F1 2018 makes it feel like you're right in the action. Revamped visuals make this the most realistic-looking F1 game to date. Drive through dense fog, rain with the wrong tyres and blazing heat and feel the raw energy of an F1 car with 2018's improved physics and feel and feel that suspension go to work. F1 2018 is available now on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and I believe PC, go to FormulaOneGame.com or visit your local retailer to pick up a copy and make headlines today. All right, should we just dig a little bit deeper into the the Mercedes strategy today, Matt? I think we covered a lot of what they did around the pit stops and the fact that once they had realized that the overcut wasn't going to work and once they'd realized that that gap was coming down, so they were out of the pit window, the only thing they can really do to Lewis Hamilton is say, right, let's get you back out. Yes, behind Kimi Raikkonen, but with significantly fresher tires. Do you think that was the motivation for eight laps? Could they have left it longer? Should they have done it sooner? Um, I think if his pace had, if, if 
the lap he set um, after Raikkonen pitted was very, very, very fast. If it had not been that fast or only slightly faster than Raikkonen, they might have just done a one-lap overcut and been done with it. But clearly there was pace and life in the tires. And at that point, the, the choice is very easy. If he can give us another couple of laps, we can have a significant advantage at the end of the race on a track that really will let us overtake. And so for once, I got to hand it to the Mercedes strategist because they set up a choice Ferrari had to make and they were well placed to follow up on it in the laps in the laps that followed. And they made absolutely the right call in not a lot of time. So, you know, kudos yeah. to James Vowles and his team. They were all over it today. And they had another weapon in their arsenal. Chris, I think I've been driving the missed apex panel to distraction and uh, and annoying them all. I mean, in general, but on this particular point where I've been saying, can we just can we just accept that Lewis Hamilton is the main Mercedes challenger all season long? Kimi Raikkonen has been left out on old tyres just to slightly interfere with the airflow over the top of uh, Lewis Hamilton's front wing here for the first time absolutely categorically Mercedes have delivered a team order that said right keep Kimi behind you and to be honest I am delighted this is such a great new factor in the team wars of these top two teams fighting for the title as it's not a hundred percent the first time uh, that we've seen Mercedes do this with Valtteri I remember Spain last year they got him to block Sebastian after his uh, stop to try and hold him up a little bit and that was another a great race between Seb and, and Lewis. But um, on, on this occasion, they seem to have been a bit more hesitant to uh, to enforce a team order. Um, whereas now I think we are very much going to be seeing if there is a situation where Lewis is behind Valtteri, they will ask him to get out of um, the way. And it, it, it's funny how... Um, you remember we talked about in Australia how uh, Lewis didn't have his rear gunner because Valtteri yeah. crashed in qualifying. And on this occasion... Kimmy didn't have a rear gunner because he usually is yeah, the rear gunner. I know. And, and the thing is, that language like, is that rear gunner and wingman. It's so toxic, isn't it? He's got to be so careful because Graham King in the chat room says, Toto says Bottas is not serving Hamilton. It worked out as the best strategy for Bottas as well. Trumpets, um, I call not that. I'm going to go a little of this, a little of that. <clears throat> it did work out for him. Exact side effect. Because he, he wound up finishing ahead of Verstappen once they applied the penalty. And he certainly, as we saw, had the pace and ability to attack him. Although, you know, we can talk about his overtaking later. Wait, wait, wait. But, no, come on. The fact that they had put him in the situation, the very risky situation of overtaking uh, Verstappen in a slightly slower car, that is not a position you willfully put yourself in. Valtteri shouldn't have been in a position where he was behind Max in the first place, true. in all honesty. Very true. Because he, he just should not have been behind it. That Red Bull was nearly a second off the pace in qualifying. And Valtteri, you know, as much as he was struggling with, with brakes this weekend and not having the confidence and on what is probably the most brake sensitive circuit we go to all year, you know, what a time to have him. Um, there's, there's too much, you know, in, in there to be, to be sitting behind a car like Max for that race. So really, I think he put himself in that position. Let's hear from Gene Z. Yeah, I mean, I, in the first few laps, I was so enthralled with what was going on with the lead two that I actually hadn't even noticed that Verstappen had got past Bottas. And I was looking through my timing. I'm like, hang on, what is Bottas not only doing behind Max, but out of the RS? I mean, 
until he bolted on his second set of tyres, Bottas was nowhere today, had no pace. He mentioned that they changed his setup before qualifying and it screwed up his confidence on the brakes, which Monza is all about brake confidence, um, which might have been the reason. But to be fair, really, really stunning performance from Max to keep a Mercedes behind, even if it was slightly ailing. Uh, in the chat room, Stuart says Merck got caught out by the threat of rain. They should have pitted Hamilton two or three laps after Kimi pitted. But there was reports on track of, of rain, and I think they waited to see what was happening. I thought that at the time, but then surely the counterpoint to that is, if you're Mercedes, you are going to back Lewis Hamilton in the rain, even with the same amount of pit stops. So you're not mad, so you're going to go, well, actually, if it rains and we've pitted Hamilton, it doesn't matter because he's going to get past Kimmy, once it starts raining. Yeah, there's the uncertainty of do you or don't you? And that call can be challenging. But the reason I'm going to disagree with that assessment is because there was a very clear message from Mercedes to Lewis one more lap. And I, that, that tells me they had a target at that point and he needed to drive that lap at whatever delta they gave him in order to make the strategy work the way they wanted it to. And clearly he came close enough because, yeah, I mean, and, and, as for the Botas thing, yeah, I mean, you can say they were looking at what was happening with Lewis and thinking it would give Valtteri the advantage he needed to get by Max because the, the tire offset would have been great enough that he'd have the pace advantage he needed, the grip advantage he needed going into the turns. So I, I can sort of buy that. But yeah. at the same token, if there was a point at which he was ahead of uh, Verstappen and Verstappen was out of his pit window the best strategy for him at that point would have been to get him in and out and in front of Max where he could have run faster. I agree. I think the, the chat room has had a great little thread here. Uh, Baja Matiamata said Bottas is almost 100 points behind Lewis. Wow. Rob Graham Bottas has been a wingman for about four races now. And then they've come up with a series of other words. So side person, side kick. And then Sandra Reynolds wins by simply saying teammate. This is a team battle now. And Bottas's role isn't to win the title. Bartas's role is to make sure that all of the Mercedes are celebrating when Lewis Hamilton wins his world championship instead of commiserating when Ferrari are up there celebrating Sebastian Vettel's championship. Good. Excellent. Uh, where should we go next, Matt? Maybe you want to talk about the whole Renault situation? Perhaps, yes. We will definitely do that in any other business. But let's catch up with our two panellists, Matt. It's not just all about you and me. It is really, don't worry. Uh, we've Sweet also up. got, we've got Alex Jeansy Van Jean, bit of a go-karter himself. What are you up to, Jeansy? Um, <clears throat> well, I haven't been racing for ages, so I've been trying to cut some weight. I've lost two stone since July, and on the 23rd of September, I'm racing in Kovka at PFI, a track I haven't been to in ages, but I do love. It's a really nice, fast-flowing, flat circuit, which is good for fat people. Um, but I, as you always say, I'm now slightly less fat, or nearly not fat. Nearly I not. I, I don't think you're at nearly not fat. I would say you're at not that fat. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, no. So I'm I'm really looking forward to getting back in the saddle. I've got a I've got a work event at Buckmore the, during that week as well. So I'm looking forward to um, getting around that place because it's an amazing place to drive. Um, and we've been talking about another missed Apex event, possibly an indoor circuit during the winter, haven't we? 
Yes, if you look at one of the latest tweets on at Spanners Ready, you can follow me there. And I am now putting in motion the plan to have a winter version of what we had just done at Buckmore Park. Obviously, we'll do it indoor because it's a bit cold, isn't it, at the winter? Uh, and there uh, we'll do a live recording and some karting. So, you know, don't worry about letting me know just yet. However, plans will be emerging very soon. I'll give you enough time to get it in your shared Google calendar and get permission from your better half. Don't expect it to not be cold. All these karting venues are in warehouses and they're colder inside than they are outside. I can say that from many years of BRKC experience. Does that, can we do it outdoors then? Because I really dislike indoor karting. I think you're just going to be terrible whatever we do. Anyway, so then Much. let's move on to any other business because you are dying to reveal some breaking news, aren't you, Trumpets? Oh, do we have breaking news music? We don't really. Oh, wait, here we go. Hang on. Here we go. Dirty News. So, at the end of the race, it was announced that Renault had officially protested the car of Romain Grosjean as being not in compliance with the FIA regs. And it had come out that they've been complaining about this for a while. But the car was sent off to scrutineering. And after a long, lengthy delay... It has indeed been found in violation. Grosjean is tossed from the race. And guess who scored his first ever point? That's right. Sorotkin, who came home in 11th place, will be moved up into P10. Stroll gets an extra point, which means a windfall of three whole points on top of, I think, the four they already had for Williams, meaning there are now seven whole points in the constructors. They're still dead last, however. This does not change anything. Chris. Uh, I have it in in front of me, uh, a tweet from another superb Chris, Chris Medland, uh, who has explained the situation uh, that that basically derives from a a technical directive that was issued in uh, July uh, regarding flaws. And they were given until this race to sort them out. Haas asked for it to be until Singapore. Uh, They did not get a direct answer. And so I've just gone and, and done it anyway. I want to ask a question. So is that does that mean that um, Grosjean and um, K-Mag aren't running the same car? So therefore, so why isn't K-Mag getting the penalty? Renault only asked about Grosjean's car because that's the one that finished <laughs> in the points and put yep. them ahead of R- Renault in the championship. They were tied with uh, Renault and now they're not. But surely you'd protest both cars. Did, did, oh, I haven't even, do you know what, Max I was so paid and everything else. Wait, did wait K-Mag out. not get points today? Nah, not even close. He had damage from uh, colliding with Perez. And, uh, 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 yeah, I remember. Okay. And a long pit stop. And then he was like 30, 40 seconds back of everybody. So it was Renault that put this challenge in then, was it, Matt? Yep. And the official wording is the reference plane of car eight is found not to be in compliance with article 3.7.1D uh, and the clarifications giving in technical directive 33, which, of course, we don't get to see because they don't publish them. Hello. Do something about that, please. Thank you. Me, personally, I really don't have that kind of contact, Matt. Ah, well, anybody, anybody listening, do something about that. Send us copies of these things. They are really hard to get their hands on. And they, as you can see, they matter rather a lot. It's like, it's like, it's like the, it's like the offside rule changes in your football and then nobody tells the, the, the audience, oh, by the way, this rule has changed. There's a fantastic comment in the chat room from Rob Graham. Fred Flintstone didn't have a floor. So would he have been disqualified? I think yes. The general consensus on that one. <laughs> uh, okay, so hang on a second, I've completely that's put me right off my uh, off my 
put me right off my stroke, that has. Uh, we were talking about Renault, weren't we? And there was a great comment from Christian Horner where he was talking about the C-spec Renault coming in and uh, Daniel Ricciardo, Renault's Red Bull representative, was going to be the one trialling it. Of course, that car sort of went pop. So everyone went, oh, look at that. Renault have delivered another rubbish engine. Or did they? Who wants to reveal what really happened? I think that's in your your kind of territory, Trumpets. It is indeed. And although it looked for all the world like Ricciardo's engine went kablooey, and you're like, it's a brand. Although they did say, spec C, more power, less reliable. Uh, Renault have looked at it and now said that it was officially a clutch issue that led to the um, smoking hulk of the brand new engine that he oh, took a Oh, really? Before, hmm, before. really? Yes. Chinny yes. reckon, beard Renault, I still think it was the C-Spec engine. Right. Well, Sparkles looks like he has uh, some kind of something he wants to say. So shall we see what it is? Well, th- there was that really scary moment about halfway around the first outlap he did in FP1 when all of a sudden he started grinding to a halt with some sort of issue that turned out to be software, but it, it didn't uh, bode well for the Spec C engine. Um, but actually, it turns out it's it's performing really well and um, has a good uh, few tenths over the old spec. And now Verstappen is running it as well. Good. Guys, time is running short. Let's move on to the podium. And what better way to start podium proceedings than to get a summary of this fantastic, incredible, amazing, eventful race? in just 60 seconds. Do I get rollover seconds from my last one? You don't. This is part of your seconds right now. Keep pushing, Bubba. All right, here we go. Lights out. Great start, Hamilton. Verstappen on Bottas. Ericsson, Hartley contact. Hartley out. Magnuson Perez contact. Hamilton on Vettel. Hamilton pass Vettel. Contact. Vettel spin. Safety car. Reckoning leads. Vettel pits. Ericsson pits. Ricardo pits. Alkenberg pits. Safety car in. Hamilton gets Reckoning. Reckoning gets Hamilton. Magnuson pits. Vettel following Ricardo Perez on Alonso. Perez gets Alonso. P10. Alonso pits. Alonso out. Ah, sad. We miss him. Perez gets Rock and <laughs> P9. Ocon gets signed. P6. Vettel into the point. Vettel gets Stroll. P9. Vettel gets Perez. P8. Bottas on Verstappen. Verstappen locks up. Cuts chicane. Raikkonen pits. Hamilton doesn't. Fast lap. Hamilton. Fast lap. Raikkonen. Grosjean pits. Ricardo engine goes. Boom. Ricardo out. Vettel gets Ocon. Verstappen pits. Botas stays out. Hamilton pits. Hamilton behind Raikkonen. Raikkonen behind Botas. Vettel pits. Raikkonen blisters. Botas pits. Perez pits. Signs pits. Hamilton DRS. Raikkonen. Botas in Verstappen. Contact. Hamilton or Raikkonen. Hamilton pass Raikkonen. Verstappen five second penalty. Verstappen very not happy. Botas on Verstappen. Ocon on Grosjean. Verstappen has radio snit. Checkers. Scroll 10th place. Uncheckers, Renault protest, Grosjean talk. Well, I'm definitely referring you to the steward's office. That was much more than, that was like 10 minutes at least. And uh, at least we know that everybody did a pit stop. And also you get a 10 second penalty for the next race for not putting it in the show notes and then looking at me with indignant rage that I wasn't going to you for it. Let's address the podium because once again it happens at italy it happens in britain 
there's a bunch of people on Twitter going, oh, it's so disrespectful. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they're expressing their fandom at a Formula One event. I mean, for goodness sake, where did they, where did they find the time between eating cucumber sandwiches? My goodness, people. It's a sports event. You're allowed to boo. You're allowed to cheer. You're allowed to clap. You've paid like three, four hundred quid to get in there for the weekend. Uh, Jamesy, I I think you're with me, aren't you? The the Italian fans at Monza are amazing. They're fantastic. They wear their hearts on their sleeves and they create a fantastic atmosphere. Why not let them boo? It's panto. And at Monza... And the panto that is Monza, Ferrari are the hero. And everybody else who dare challenges them is the villain. And today the villain won. So they boo the life out of it. It was brilliant. It was hilarious. Um, and the best thing is, is Lewis just lapped it up. Absolutely lapped it up. And what I loved the most from the podium was um, they love Felipe Massa. Boy, do they love Felipe Massa. That place erupted for him. More so than it did for Kimi. But uh, yeah, I I like the booing. It's good fun. I boo the life out of Seb. Yeah, it's great fun. I <laughs> well, thoroughly enjoy I know, it. I know the chat room is saying there were some more sinister kind of chants, uh, and of course, yes, we'll cut. We, we we want to cut those kind of things out. Uh, but just the booing. I mean, I was there in oh, was it 2013 when Seb got a a puncher like right at the end of the pit straight, and like straight away everyone just stood up and went ah boo idiot boo like it's his fault somehow. You know, and I. I'd spent 350 quid that weekend. Surely I can boo a German four-time world champion. That's That's got to be within my right as a Brit, hasn't it? Um, but Lewis was just there on the podium, absolutely lapping it up, acting as if all the cheers were for him. And uh, I think it's fine because I think he's been affected by it in previous seasons and he wasn't affected by it today. Uh, and Massa pretending that him and Lewis Hamilton had somehow had this great reconciliation in the years since he'd retired and they were now best mates. He's got his hand all the way around him. And that I, I just, I don't buy that for a second, Jeansy. Lewis gave Felipe the most horrible, horrible moment of his entire life. I'm actually surprised that Massa can forgive Lewis. They went through a ding dong and it was, it was amazing that season but um it's a long time ago and massa hasn't been in the picture for a really really long time and i think you show from nico rosberg's been all over sky this weekend and whether you like for nico sure, rosberg sure. or not as a pundit he's like lewis's biggest fan <laughs> um everything he says is about how amazing well, lewis look, hamilton. if you're nico rosberg beating up lewis hamilton only serves to make you look more amazing for your 2016 season. I think that's an absolutely fantastic tactic. Uh, and congratulations to him on his new media career. I'm sure there's plenty of time for him to grow and improve. Uh, uh, mentioned in dispatches, uh, people who had great weekends, Williams, Force India, Roman Grosjean, unfortunately got disqualified, but a great performance. Uh, but let's go through our awards. So let's do the good thing. Who is your thing of the weekend? Matt Aubergine Trumpets. My thing of the weekend is Kimi Raikkonen because, oh my goodness, finally an old person doing something right. I just got to say, I know he didn't win, but (laughs) he had Hamilton on him from the start of the race. And unlike certain other people who might drive for Ferrari, not a single mistake till he ran out of tires and there was nothing he could do about it. And even from there, he got the car home in second place and think what you will say what you will. 
that was one impressive showing from him this weekend. I think especially with the second best car on the grid as well, Matt, I think, you know, that was a great performance. Oh, nice one trying to sneak that in there. Yeah, on tires, and I'd go with it. Meh, just saying. Mercedes had the best package this weekend. <laughs> if you could go back in time, Trumpets, which car would you want this weekend? Well, I'd want the car I could win in, which would be the Mercedes. Yeah, baby. Yeah, there we go. Come on, let's put a bit of a dampen down that fire of Ferrari are going to run away with it with their amazing fastest car. I don't think any of that is decided just yet. No, no one... No one ever said they're going to run away with it. Just when we say Ferrari have got the fastest car, it doesn't mean like Mercedes have had for the last four well, years on, being a, a second quicker than anyone else is. It might just be by half a tenth of a second. Well, hang on. Whenever I say to you Mercedes were the fastest car this weekend, that you always have a reason, like the special tyres or there was some circumstance. This weekend, for Mercedes had the best race pace. They had the best overall package. You could admit that this weekend. The, the strategy, I think, helped in uh, a lot of sense. I think if Seb had gotten pole, I would... I am maybe ninety percent sure Seb would have eased away had he got on pole position, but we'll we'll never know. So that's, oh, that's easy to say, but I would posit that Kimi Raikkonen was the fastest Ferrari driver this weekend. Mm, I'd say Seb was the quickest, but the most clumsy. Ah, uh, well, there we go again, can again, think- an inexplicable reason why Mercedes isn't faster. Can I do my thing of the weekend? Uh, yeah, hang on, but before you do that. Earlier, the chat room was saying about Kimi Raikkonen being old and people were getting really angry because it turns out we, we do have a few old people in our chat room. And, and me too, because they're saying 38 isn't old and I'm turning 38 on uh, on Thursday. So I know it's not very British, but I would like a massive deal made out of that on Twitter if you could, at Spanners Ready. Uh, 38, birthday, you know, poppers, maybe gifts in emojis. That would be just super. 38, that's the number I race with in the F1 game. Mm, and it's it's also the age at which, like most of your bones, have given up attaching to the joints properly. Okay, Chris, <laughs> what is your thing of the weekend? It's really hard to choose from from what has been a spectacular weekend for Formula One with that amazing proper ding dong to and fro, equal scrap between two amazing cars. But I think for me, it's got to be that that Q three uh, session where you just did not know what was going to happen next, and the times were flying in like they go quicker no they go quicker and they go quicker and the fastest lap in formula one history which is now held by none other than Kimi Raikkonen (laughs) trumpets Uh, the chat room is requesting clarification as to the actual day of your birthday so you may have gotten what you wished for oh Thursday the 6th of September and I will be turning 38 years old um yes okay so alex jeansy van jean what is your thing of the weekend because there's just so much to pick from during the race what i thought i'd pick from was on the cool down lap was when the mercedes put a note put a radio call out to their driver said uh can we please drive in formation for a photo for our italian colleagues i thought that was brilliant i properly properly laughed that's that's right back there with the um sebastian comment from silverstone saying in their backyard or whatever it was in their house i would i would imagine that that is a direct retaliation to that radio message uh yeah and and you know let mercedes enjoy their day certainly ferrari enjoyed their day at silverstone as well uh for me the thing of the weekend was valtteri bottas falling in line with the team orders and then being very gracious about it in all the interviews, it must be incredibly difficult and humbling to take those team orders, to act them out and accept that you are not the number one driver in that team. It's got to hurt. 
But I have to say he is handling himself properly, appreciating that he has a thousand colleagues in silver uniforms and he's doing the best possible job he can for them, if not necessarily for his teammate. Uh, so I guess this is the bad thing now. Missed the apex. Thanks, Steve. Amy, our video guy, for finding the old bumpers because I just lost that one. Uh, so the bad thing award is Matt Trumpets. Who did badness this weekend? Ah, uh, you know, I got to go with Vettel because, like, he quite literally missed the apex when he spun himself running into Hamilton. And that so completely changed the. Imagine if he had been trailing Hamilton and they could have tried to use him to undercut on Lewis. And then suddenly the shoe was on the other foot and Kimmy goes long and wins or Vettel gets away with the undercut. Lewis trails Kimmy and they both lose out to Vettel. I mean, it was everything for Ferrari for Vettel to be up in the front of the field. He did not have to be where he was yet. He put himself there and it spoiled the party. Let's go next then to Alex. Jeans Van Jean, how's it going for you, buddy? And who missed the apex? How's this show going for you? You've only hit your microphone once this show, which is a new record. I have not. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, anyway, I will, I gonna, will roll gonna, back the tape. The Hang on. Tape. No, trumpets, so trumpets. So, the, Yeah, I'm sorry. If you're not hitting your microphone, you're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't find the limit of where you can... um, No, my missed apex is um, Salber's DRS that really fundamentally missed the apex. Not only did it cause one very serious, serious crash that I'm staggered that Ericsson was absolutely fine from. It just shows how good these F1 cars are now for safety. It completely destroyed Sauber's weekend because they had to go to a non-Monza spec wing and they were sitting ducks. Yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, it is a really, really bad engineering fail. Like, the procedure for making sure that the correct force is needed to overcome those springs is a relatively basic check. So someone, and that will be an individual, I would I would most likely posit, rather than, you know, okay, it, yes, even if it is a, a part failing, then that there is an individual in design and manufacturing that has been responsible for that. That's a, that's a big fail, because that is something that should be tested and people should be all over that and and get ready for your missed apex bingo as an engineer i was very shocked to find that that is the kind of fault that led to such a big accident okay uh who's left who's left that hasn't done their thing uh chris who missed the apex for you it's got to be verstappen for acting incredibly petulant uh, after he received his penalty having done a fantastic drive up until that point that was the real shame of it yeah, it's it's um it's not a wasted talent at the moment, but can you imagine if he was doing that in a potentially title winning season? And if that opportunity comes soon, then is he the guy to to take that on for Red Bull? Uh, you'd have to wonder. I also have a statistic um here that I've actually just found um on uh, Twitter that this might well be because of Grosjean's disqualification, the first time ever in Formula One that every driver has scored a point in a season. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. And uh, our, our buddy, Sean Kelly, came up with a really good statistic. If you go back 10 race winners in Formula One, do you know how far back you get? It's like the mid-90s or something, isn't it's, it? It's Eddie Irvine. Wow. And that's just 10 Grand Prix race winners you get to Eddie Irvine. That's an, an amazing stat. Uh, so we're doing Miss the Apex. I think the Miss the Apex has to go to the qualifying because... 
Ferrari in qualifying knew that the toe was very, very important and Sebastian Vettel didn't get the toe he needed off his teammate and they did have, sorry Kimi Raikkonen fans, they had the wrong Ferrari up front. I'd imagine there's going to be a pony award. Daddy, I want a pony and I want it now. Jeansy. There's several of them. Um, so I'm going to pick on Sebastian um, for qualifying and for after the race. Qualifying going, yes, 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 I won. I got qual. Oh, no, I'm second. Okay, we'll talk about this later. Did um, he? Yeah, that's what he said. Oh, he said, we'll I We'll talk about that? this later. Well, he, thought yeah. he, he thought he'd got pole. He thought <gasps> it was on pole and I then got told he was P2, P2. And then he said, we'll talk about this later. Um, And then crying about Lewis not giving him enough room when Lewis couldn't have really given him much more room. So, yeah, again, Mr. Vettel gets a pony award because he is a pony. Jamesy, I like you. You can stay. Where can people follow you on the Internet? On pretty much everything, I'm at Alex Van Jean. Makes it nice and simple. No underscores, sparkles. Idiots. Um, Just make it nice and simple. At Alex Van Jean on anything you want to look at. Any other ponies, trumpets, and sparkles next? Right. So, obviously, we have to give the pony award to Verstappen for his remarkable radio performance when he discovered that he'd been penalized for driving directly into the side of Botas, which could not possibly have ever been his fault under any circumstances whatsoever. Spark. Oh, in fact, uh, Matt, where can people find you online? At Matt PT fifty five on the Twitters is where I mostly hang out. Excellent, Sparkles. Uh, you have a pony award. I was going to say Max as uh, as well, but as long as we're plugging things uh, at C Stevens underscore Journal on Twitter. Excellent. Okay, good. That just leaves us with one award, and that's the award that Matt delves into the deep horrors that is the chat room and awards. Comment of the week. Any any comments today? Been busy? Oh boy. I, I could I could spend five minutes reading over them and they are anything from cutting and dangerous to like just out and out yeah. hysterical. Yeah. So um a lot of people made funny comments about my race in sixty seconds. Christopher Fonseca said my summary is only nineteen seconds shorter than the lap record at Monza. Would love to see a side by side. He also said I'd been disqualified as the floor of my mouth was found to be against the FIA's secret regulation. Well spotted. Um, the, and he would like to have a mailing address as he suggests everyone send you compression socks. That would be amazing. And someone said they were going to send me glitter as if that would be a punishment. Hello. I love glitter. I'm more to the important, uh, more to the point. So do the little ones. Low stealth. Williams figured out that randomly having all your wings stall is worth a point at Monza. That was before the disqualification. Tariq Ashraf, the uh, Max left a car with, about a 2016 car. Ooh, hang on a minute. I'm sure I heard Brundle say that earlier. Uh, he may have stolen <laughs> it from Brundle, but I just left that part out because it was funny. Yeah. Um, the, and I think we need uh, low stealth in. It seems we need to thank Mark Weber for being just slow enough to make a four-time champion. Out. Armand Erkins, Hamilton's like a mosquito in the bedroom. We all hate him, but respect his lust for blood. So some 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 props from the non-Hamilton fans. Yeah, it went vampire there. Okay. He totally did. Um, uh, but I think we're going to have to go with low self. After Vettel crashed, Ferrari had to quickly write up a Kimi strategy in crayon. Comment of the week. Thanks 
very much chat room for keeping us company thank you very much to the guys listening to us on audio as well if you fancy seeing us pour funds into improving things improving the video the audio live events and maybe even getting ourselves some extra reach then you can support us at patreon.com search for missed apex you can do micropayments where you can contribute a few dollars a month Every single penny of that goes back into the project. Why not follow me at Spanners Ready, make a huge fuss of my birthday, and follow the project at Mist Apex F1. And remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Mist Apex at Monza. I mean, I've made it sound like we were in Monza. I'm in a shed sort of pretend you guys are in the shed with me but you're not you're i mean chris is in his mum's house matt i think is in some new york loft and jeansy you look like you're in a hospital or something i'm in my house did i suppress my hamphosia enough tonight Uh, kind of (laughs) i mean you might want to roll the tape back jeansy because but you can't on you can't help it i mean today he was the class of the field so i think we're allowed to be a little hamphosia today Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.